Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Jeremiah chapter 2. All right, let's look at the Bible. Uh, God's just been good, and I believe that uh, you ought to have joy in serving the Lord. In fact, there is no better life than a life lived serving God. And in Jeremiah, you know, we look at Jeremiah, and you may have heard this before, but he's got a nickname, and his nickname is the Weeping Prophet. Well, <clears throat> it's kind of a sad state of affairs when that's your nickname. He wrote the book of Jeremiah, and he also wrote the book of Lamentations. And uh, his life was not a very happy and joy-filled life. In fact, his life got so rough at one time that he looked at God and said, I'll not preach anymore. I'm done. I'm not going back. I'm not going out there. He'd go and he'd preach the Word of God. They put him in the slop pit. They put him in the stocks and they, they hurt him and they, they, they chastised him over and over again just for doing what God said. And he said, I'll not say another word for God. And then we read how the, the, the Bible teaches us that he said there was a fire shut up in his bones and he could not stay the Lord used Jeremiah in a mighty way, but it was not in a really victorious way. Jeremiah was a man that was sent to the children of Israel to preach because the children of Israel were backslidden. In Jeremiah chapter 2, and verse number 1, we're going to read a couple of verses here, and then we'll hop down and read some later in the chapter. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 1, let's read this together. Uh, if you're with me, say Amen. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Let's skip down to verse number 31 here in this same chapter. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse number 31. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we are lords. We will come no more unto thee. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. I want to preach to you this morning on this simple thought of the way back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask you, once again, Lord, we thank You, Lord, for being so faithful. Thank You, Lord, that You are faithful to us, Lord, that You'll never leave us, You'll never forsake us, God, that, that even when we stray, God, You're right there within arm's reach, and God, that You're 
ear is not deafened, that you cannot hear. God, I pray this morning, please, Lord, uh, that you bless these that's come out this morning to be in the church, God, and, and I know that they need help, God, and they're seeking, Lord, to be fed. Lord, I pray that you'd use me, God, to feed your people. Use me, Lord, to deliver the Word of God with power, with unction of the Holy Ghost. Help me, Lord, not to be uh, distracted or hindered. God, if there be any pride or selfishness or self in me, God, I pray that you'd empty me of that, of myself and sin, and, and Lord, fill me with your Spirit this morning. I love you, God. I need you. I ask for your help, God. I can't preach without you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, has come to God's people And I find it interesting, the contrast between these two sets of verses. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and verses 31, 32, and 33, uh, they are a triplet of verses. And they have two very different messages. One is the Lord reminiscing about His memory of the children of Israel when they first got together. And the word that He uses there is espousals. In, uh, In verse number 2, He said, the love of thine espousals when thou winnest after me. And this passage is written as if it were from a husband to his wife. I remember when we first got together and you first came after me and you showed me your love and how that you sought me and, and how that, that it said Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of His increase and, and how that they were literally in love and that they loved God, and they went after Him, and they sought Him, and and they desired Him, and and they they espoused themselves to Him, and they were kind to Him, the kindness of thy youth. And then, because of that, how that that He blessed them, and He made them the first fruits of His increase, and how that that when they went through the wilderness even, that He fed them, and He watered them, and, and that He gave them those lands that He promised them, and He blessed them. Amen. But then later in the chapter, Jeremiah begins to describe from the Word of God that came unto him how that things have changed. That at one time, how that the people of Israel loved God and and there was literally a a marriage made between the children of Israel and God. Israel in the Bible is seen as the wife of God, that they made a covenant. A covenant, just like a husband and a wife. And the language used in the Old Testament to describe the relationship between God and the people of Israel. When he talks about them going away, he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. It's like a husband and his wife. While we can see that these words were obviously written specifically to the children of Israel, I believe that just as the relationship between God and Israel as a husband and wife Uh, we have a mirrored relationship in that of Christ and the church. That we are the bride of Christ, are we not? And that we are awaiting our bridegroom to come and get us and take us to what is literally called in the Bible the marriage supper of the Lamb. That we are His bride. And so we can see and surely we can learn as we should from history, looking at Israel, we can see the mirrored effect of how they treated God And how that we treat our Lord. Israel is going to ignore the warnings of God. They're going to continue in idolatry for some time. And because of it, they're going to suffer. They're going to face the wrath of God. But what about us? What about the Christian faith? What about the the saved? The bride of Christ? Will we go the road of the wife of God? 
or will we be faithful? Will we go the route of the Israelites who again and again and again... Have you ever read the book of Hosea? God told Hosea there at the beginning of the book of Hosea that he should go out and get a harlot and take her to wife. And the reason that he told Hosea to do that is so that Hosea could understand what God felt like when Israel left him. And he took that woman, and he married her, and he had multiple children, and then she left him. And then he went and got her, and then she left him again. And then he went and got her, and then she left him again. And you know why God had Hosea do that? So he could know what it felt like. So the question this morning is, concerning us as the church, what are we going to be like? Is God, you know, I read these words here even in the first three verses where God is talking about how good things used to be, and here's what he said. I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. He's saying, I remember how things used to be. Amen? I remember how things used to be. I remember when things were good between us. And there was joy, and there was love, and there was kindness. And when I read those words, I don't know about you, but I can almost hear the grief in God's voice. The sadness. Amen. Amen. You ever reminisce about good times, maybe with those maybe who've gone on, or with those who maybe there is now a breaking of fellowship, and they've, they, have, they have turned away from you and gone away, and, it, and when you think about them, you think about those people, you think about how the way things used to be, and how it was good, and it was joyous, and it was kind, it, it hurts your heart. That's God looking at the children of Israel you know what I'm afraid of this morning? I'm afraid that's God when He looks at you. When God thinks on you, and He does, the Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He thinks on us. He loves us. God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He thinks about us. He cares about us. He loves us. When He thinks about you, you've got to remember the good times. Or can he see them right now? Let's look at this passage. I want to show you, first of all, their failure of affection and mirrored in that our failure of affection. Under the thought of the failure of affection, first I want you to see our previous pursuit. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Israel this morning. Let's put ourselves in their shoes as we are betrothed unto our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and see how our relationship is with God compared to the way that their relationship was with God. First, our previous pursuit. Here's what he said in verse number 2 of chapter 2. I remember thee, thy kindness, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness. That statement, wentest after me, implies that they literally pursued him. Amen. They pursued him. When you were, uh, for any of us this morning who are married at one point or another, one of you or both of you pursued the other one. You went out, you saw that, that lady, that girl. I saw my, my wife, Brooke. I, I looked at her and she looked at me and, and there was some kind of a connection there that made me say, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to make that girl fall in love with me. Amen. So I, I contrived a, a lot of lies you know, half-truths. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, you want to you dress up nice. Put on some perfume or put on some cologne. And 
put on your, your Sunday best and you want to look cool. You know, you want to, you want to do something that's going to get their attention. You don't want them to look at you and then just pass right over. You want to grab their attention. You go after them. You go out of your way to say nice things to them. You go out of your way to, to bring them gifts, amen, or, or give them the candy they like or, or flowers or whatever. You do things to go after them. And here's what God said. I remember when you used to do that for me. It's like God said to the church of Ephesus in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and He said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. God was saying the same thing to Ephesus that He said here, and that's in the New Testament church that He's saying here out of Israel, which is this. You used to love me in such a way that you went after me. You literally, you chased me around. You know? We uh, went to a wedding a while back. I performed a wedding for uh, a cousin of mine and there were two or three, I can't remember, two or three little boys. Was it two? Two little God-forsaken boys chasing my daughter around. And uh, they, they, uh, they had, like, they were dancing or whatever, and uh, I wasn't, just so you know. I wasn't up there cutting a ruck. But my daughter was sent over, and this little boy comes up to my daughter and says, will you dance with me? Now, I was in the back signing marriage licenses, and in the meantime, my daughter's out there dancing with not one, but two little boys doing the, the chicken dance or whatever else. And can I tell you, God wasn't within 100 miles of it. <laughs> Amen. No, it, you know, they're little and it was innocent and all that stuff. But them boys, they saw a pretty little girl and said, I, I want to I talk to that girl and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to, you know, try to get her to dance with me. And, you know, it almost became a little rivalry. Because when you see a pretty girl or a, or a handsome young man, and, you know, you think, man, I just, I really want their attention. That is exactly how God wants us to pursue Him. And there was a time when you probably said these words, God, if you'll save me, I'll do anything. God, I want you more than I want anything. God, I want you to use me. God, I want you to bless my home and I'll serve you. I'll give my life to you. But where are you now? When God looks at you, does He remember a previous pursuit or do you pursue Him now? In the book of Jeremiah, the first time that the word love appears in the book is in verse 2 right here when He said, the love of thine espousals. Which shows us that that love was vitally important to God. That that love was almost the standard that He wanted them to look at throughout the rest of the book. That they loved Him, and He loved them, and it was a mutual healthy and loving relationship, and that's the way God wants things to be. We see our previous pursuit, then we see our present perfidy, and that word perfidy means betrayal. The word love and its derivatives are found in the book of Jeremiah somewhere around 13 times. If you just take that word love, and not words that just have the word in there, at least 11 of them are written concerning Israel loving something other than God. Only two out of the 13 times that it's mentioned from what I have seen is Israel loving God. That's a bad, that's a bad statistic. That means the vast majority of their love was given to other gods and themselves rather than given to God. Can I say it to you like this? 
in this life, it seems like we are willing to give our hearts to anything and everything that comes along. Amen. Young people, let me give you some encouragement. One day, odds are, you'll want to get married. Eventually, you'll get there. Hopefully, you're not there yet. You're a little young. But in time, even if the Lord tarries is coming, my daughter there, she's going to be four this month, if the Lord tarries is coming, we'll one day want to be married. That's just the way things go. But what I find a lot of time with young people is the first boy or the first girl that comes along and she's pretty and she bats her eye, you're ready to throw your whole heart in their hands. Let me encourage you, hold on to your heart. Not everybody that says, hey, I'd like your heart is worthy of it. In fact, most of them are not. And God's intention is not for us to throw our heart at everything in this world that we like and everyone in this world that we like and just give it here and give it there. Our, God's intention for us is for us to give Him our whole heart and then let Him decide what we, do with, what we do with it here and there. Here and there. Here and there. The sad truth about Christianity, especially in the day we live, is this. We give the very best of ourselves to our work, to our hobbies, to our pleasures, and then we consider ourselves spiritual and generous for giving God whatever's left over. That's a hard statement. But I want you to hear me this morning. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. The next chapter, Jeremiah said this, I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Here's what God said in Jeremiah chapter 3. He said, Israel played the harlot and went after false gods, and I cut them off, and I focused solely on the tribe of Judah. Now, the, the, the kingdom of Judah was a split kingdom of the children of Israel. You had the northern and the southern kingdom. Northern Israel was ten of the twelve tribes. And southern Israel was two. That's Judah. And God said, Judah are the only ones who are following the right king. They're the only ones who are sticking with me. So I'm going to follow them and the rest of them have left me. And they're done and they're gone. Then he said this. He said, after, after seeing what happened to Israel, and after me giving all my heart to Judah, they still betrayed me. And they still went after false gods. He called them stones. He said, they, uh, they've committed adultery with stones and with stocks. They, they chased false gods, like that golden calf. They chased false gods and rejected the God of heaven. He said, even after seeing what happened over there, they still did it. Isn't that just like us? We see people who quit on God and reject God and go out on God, and we see how things go in their life and how things fall apart. And then we do the same things. We give the best of ourselves to our work, our hobbies, and our pleasures, and then we consider ourselves spiritual and generous for giving God what is left over. God does not want your leftovers. God is a God of the first fruits. Look there in verse number 2 of our text. 
he said that right there when he talked, or verse number three rather. He said, Israel was holy in the Son of the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. You know what that said? God gave Israel first, and they gave him last. It ought not so to be. We see our failure of affection in our previous pursuit, in our present perfidy, our betrayal of God, and then we see our, our phony pretenses. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her... What's these next two words? Whole heart. Say it with me. They've not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. You know what that means? They pretended. To feign means to pretend. Means to put on a face. Our phony pretense is this. Many claim, I love God, but we keep giving Him the dregs. I love God. We give Him just the bare minimum to get by. I love my God. I love the King James Bible. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have this much time for Him. He said, Judah has not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. They say they love me with their mouth, with their lips. They're saying, uh, it's like I've got a verse down here I was going to read later. I'll read it to you now. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. Jesus said this, You hypocrites, well did the size prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You're here this morning, sitting in the pew, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Can I tell you, it's hard to hear from God when you aren't even there. It's hard to hear from God when you don't put yourself in the place where God's speaking to you. I'm glad you're here, but I hope we're not like Judah. I hope we're not walking around and saying we love God, and oh yes, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, and with our lips, we give Him honor, with our mouths, we draw nigh to Him with our words, but our hearts, far from Him. I hope it's not you this morning, I hope that's not me. Many claim to love God, but it's only for show. God does not want part of your heart, He wants the whole thing, all of it. That's what He said, isn't it? He said, they've not drawn nigh to me with their whole heart. Oh yeah, God, we still want you to be a part of our lives. God, we still want to go to church sometime. God, we, we don't want to forsake you and quit being Christians, but I've really only got this much for you. I'll give you this much. Will you take this? No. He wants the whole thing. You can't give part of yourself for your marriage. Amen. If I told my wife she could have Mondays and Thursdays, it wouldn't be a very good marriage. No. She's got me 100% of the time, whether she wants me or not. Amen. That's right. Because I'm hers and she's mine, and we are one flesh. And when you got saved, you know what happened? The Bible said, no, you're not. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You've been, for you are bought with a price, and that price was the blood. That Jesus died on the cross and shed for you. And when he did, when he saved you, he brought you into his own. And we are one with Christ. Just like I'm one with my wife. But you can't just give him a part. He wants the whole thing. Let me hurry. 
We see not only our, uh, <clears throat> not only do we see our failure of affection in our previous pursuit and our present perfidy and our phony pretense, we see our failure to admit. Now this is where the rubber meets the road. Man, this is the biggest problem in the church. And when I say the church, I mean all the churches in America and all the churches in all the world. The biggest problem that preachers and teachers and Christians are facing is just getting people to admit that they're wrong. So how do you know when we have invitation and no one moves, nobody's willing to admit that they're wrong? That's just the way it is. No one's willing to put themselves into a low position. Some of y'all thinking, I wish you'd go back talking about the blob. We need God in our lives. We need God to work on us. We need God to help us and be there for us. Some of us are never going to see God truly move in our lives until we admit that we're wrong. Our failure to admit. Jeremiah chapter 3, look at it, verse 12. We're looking at Israel, and we're seeing ourselves in the mirror of Israel here in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. That's the mercy of God. Can you see that? The mercy of God. He said back there in the earlier verses of chapter 3 that he'd already, he'd already separated from Israel. And he turned, he said, they're gone, that's fine, you're gone. If you're gone, you're gone. Go ahead, go ahead. Y'all are going to leave, that's fine. Leave, if you want to leave, I'm not going to stop you. Here's what he says. But if you'll turn back, I won't stay angry forever. I'll take you back. Verse 13, only acknowledge thine iniquity. There it is. That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. We see our failure to admit our iniquity. We say, verse 13, verse 12, go and tell them, he said, the north, that's the kingdom of Israel. Go tell them, say, return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. Return and do what? Well, there's, there's more. It's not just return. You being here this morning, it's wonderful. I'm so glad you're here, but you being here is not enough. If you've got sin in your life, if you have walked away from God and your affections, and you've dumped all your time and your, your, your heart and your, your mind space and your money and, and everything in life into the things of the world that you love, and you've only got this much left for God this morning, God's not pleased. He wants your whole heart. Say, well, I'm here this morning. Amen. That's, that's verse 12. Verse 13. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. To acknowledge is more than to just know that it exists. It is to admit that it exists. It's to, it's to look at it and say, there it is, and this is a problem that needs to be addressed. Not just to yourself, but to God. To admit it. It's saying, God is saying, I know you're wrong. You know what iniquity is? Iniquity, it's our personal faults. It's personal sin. Sin in your heart, sin in your life. You personally doing things that are offensive to God that the Bible tells us you should not do. Maybe your music's wrong. Maybe, maybe your life is full of sin. Maybe you're doing this over here you shouldn't do or that. You know what you're doing. I don't know your iniquities and you don't know mine. 
but God knows every one of us. And you have to acknowledge your iniquity if you want God to let you back in. So I thought God never leave us. No, no, God hasn't ever left us. But remember with me. Do you remember a time when you and God walked arm in arm and hand in hand? And you read your Bible, and you prayed, and when you were in church, you felt the Spirit of God move, and you had joy in your life and peace. But now things aren't like that. Now you've gotten more distant from God. Why? Well, God said your iniquities have separated between you and your God. The number one thing, the first thing that separates us from God, personal sins. Hear me, girls? Personal sins. You doing things that God doesn't want you to do. Saying things God doesn't want you to say. Going places God doesn't want you to go. When you do that, it drives a wedge between you and God. And here's God saying, come back. Come back. But when you get back, the first thing you've got to do is admit there's sin in your life. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to stick around. Amen. Our failure to admit our iniquities, our failure to admit our transgressions. A transgression is to break away from just authority. Transgressing is not just sin, it's rebelling. It's here is God, and God is saying, I, I want you to do this, and you're saying, no. I want, you to, I want you to do this in the church. I want you to be in ministry. I want you to, to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to give more. I want you to go witness more. I want you to teach, or I want you to, to preach, or I want you to to work in this, or I want you to do that, and you go, oh, God, I don't want to do that. Good friend of mine, I remember when he was a young man, he stood up in our church and said, God was calling him into the mission field. And we were all like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And the Lord kind of worked things out. He had even had some discussions with a missionary we supported in Mexico to maybe go down there and start doing some, some ministry work. But he was just pouring too much of his life into his job, into his, his hobbies. And what eventually happened is nothing. And now he's not even in church. You know why? Because he transgressed. The Lord says, what I want you to do, he just never did it. Just wouldn't do it. He kept coming for a while, but then he's only coming sometime and He'd be up here and down and up and down and up and down. He kept turning and coming back. Like Israel, come back, come back. But once you get here, you've got to get rid of your iniquity. And you've got to admit it. And you've got to admit your transgressions against the Lord. I've told you to do this. I want you to do this. I, and you're just not doing it. If you don't admit those transgressions, you're not going to stick. But you'll be just like Israel. One minute, they did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. The next minute... They did that which was wrong in the sight of the Lord over and over and over. Why? Because they would not admit their transgressions. Luke chapter 15, verse 21. Even the prodigal son, he said this. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. You know what the prodigal son knew? He knew that even though he went and done some things that brought a great reproach on his family, that the first thing that he had done wrong is sin against God. David said, my sins ever before me, I have sinned against God. My sin is ever before me. When we sin, we do wrong, it is against God. It is a transgression before God that He sees our sin and He cares about sin. Don't listen to the biblically unsound mindset that God does not care if you sin. He does. 
That's why he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. Not only should we admit our iniquities and our transgressions, we have to admit about our scattered ways. Here's what he said. He said, thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. You know what that means? Scattered ways is a great tool of the devil. The devil wants us to get so scattered and so spread out and so confused, if you will, that we end up doing nothing for God. Their problem was that they had started picking up the mindset of the people that were around them. That's what he said. He said, you scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree. They're going to false churches under false gods. They're adopting wicked mindsets. They were doing terrible things. I don't know if you know this, but the children of Israel would get so far from God, and once they reached a certain point, they would begin to worship and to pass children, said, through the fire of Molech. You know what the fire of Molech is? Molech is a false god, a demon, if you will, and they would literally sacrifice their children with fire to this false god. How do you go from serving the God of heaven, who's literally making food fall out of the sky to feed you, to making your children pass through fire as a sacrifice to some false god? You get there by slowly getting further and further further away from God, to the point that now we've got churches, churches, not just people in the pews or people here, people there, pastors and churches standing up and they're preaching and teaching worldly ideology. Their ways have become so scattered, they're so far from the Bible, it's not even funny. They won't even proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And if you won't proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven, what are you even doing? They've allowed every wicked thing to come in through the doors and not just be there, but be a part. Come as you are, stay as you are. God doesn't care about your sin. God doesn't care about your sanctification. Do what you want, live how you want, and you'll be fine the way you are. Every day can be a Friday. It's a worldly ideology. It's scattered, spread out, and it's wrong. And it's picked up from the people around you. Not from God, the people around you. That's where they got those mindsets. That's where they got them. You know what happened? They got so scattered in their way. God said, you've gone so far, it's like I don't even know you. That's like, let me give you this quote from Dr. Vance Havner. He said this The devil is not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. Instead, he is producing a counterfeit Christianity that is so much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. Counterfeit Christianity. It's just like Jesus said you, you get close in, with your mouth with your lips, but in your heart, you're far from me. It's a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. I hope it's not you this morning. We've got to understand that if we want to come back to God, we're talking about the way back. There's a time when we were close. And we loved Him. We showed Him our love, and He showed us His love. and We, we were in communion together, and we walked together, and and we were affectionate, and, and, and we pursued Him, and, and things were good, and there was joy. Amen. If you've been saved, no matter where you're at now, surely you can look back at a time when your heart was just at peace with God. Where are you right now? If you don't have peace with God, and you don't have joy in your heart, I've got some good news for you. You can. You can have peace with God.
Not only can you, but God wants you to. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor, or heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what he wants. He wants you to come back. He wants that communion and that love and that unity with him, regardless of where you're at and where you've been. That's what he wants for you today. Not this counterfeit type of Christianity where you're so far from God and when you go home at night, you've not, you've not got any peace and you come into the church and you've not got any joy and you're doing nothing for God and you're going nowhere for God. God does not want that. He wants you and Him hand in hand going forward, doing things for God and growing. God wants to grow this church and He wants to use you to do it. Amen. Not just me, not just Brother Joe, you and not just... Not just this brother or that brother or this one or this sister. He wants every one of us, hand in hand, unity dwelling in unity together with the brethren. Amen. In the spirit of the bond of peace. That's what he wants. But your iniquity and your transgression are going to be a problem. Your scattered mindset and accepting worldly ideology is going to be a problem. And if you want to get back to where you were with God, you're going to have to admit it. No one is responsible for your relationship with God, but you and God. It's not, well, they did that and they said this. That doesn't matter. You and God are responsible for your relationship. Amen. Let me hurry, I'll be done. Not only we see our failure of affection and our failure to admit, but we see our future requires assimilation. It's kind of funny that assimilation is taken on a negative context in our current day. But to assimilate simply means to cause to resemble, to come to resemble something. To assimilate means that you will, over time, begin to act and talk and be like the people that you're around. And we are to be transformed into the image of Christ. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind, we are to reflect in our lives the image of Christ. Jeremiah chapter 4, I'm almost done. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, here's what it says. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Our future requires assimilation. God wants us to liken ourselves to Him. So Brother Paul, me and God, we're good. It's hard for me and for the others around you, including the Christians who know you and the world out there who don't, to believe that you and Christ are close when you're nothing like him. And can I say, when I look at myself, I think, I'm nothing like Christ. But I want to be. I want to be. And here's the truth. The more time you spend with him, the more you'll be like him. The more you read your Bible, the more you'll think like Christ. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word, it's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's just simple. The more you read your Bible, the more preaching you listen to, the more time you spend in God's Word and, and speaking with Him in prayer and, and in church and being around God's people, 
and doing the things of God, the more you'll be like Christ. The more time you spend out in the world, the more time you spend uh, in the wicked places doing the wicked things, the more you'll be like the world. Here's what the verse said, verse 3, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Can we all agree thorns are bad? In fact, thorns are a curse. Thorns are a curse of God on the world because of the sin of Adam. Near where I live, there is a creek called Little Brush Creek, and everybody around that community calls it Sinks. My parents live on what they call Sinks Road, and they call it Sinks Road because in one part of the year, the water in that creek will literally sink into the ground, and it will get real shallow, and there'll be long stretches of dry bed. And then another part of the year, it flows back in and fills back up and then goes down and up every year. And so they call it sinks. Well, there's a cave that we go through down there. We like to take kids and teens and make them swim through this terrifying, dark, cold cave. It's it's wonderful. Anyway, we go down there and cross this cave. It goes right up underneath the road my grandparents and my parents live on. And on one side of that cave, there's this huge tree. I don't know what type of tree it is. I used to know, but I've forgotten. Uh, And my brother and I were down there one time fishing or walking around. We came up on this huge tree, and I mean, its trunk is, is, is probably, probably about that wide. I mean, it's an old, big tree. And that tree has become, it has become overcome by thorns. You can walk up to it, and, uh, you know, toward the ground, it's, it's got thorns on it, they're wrapped around it, but as it goes up, you literally can't even see the bark for the thorns wrapping around it. And we actually made a crown of thorns for a skid or something one time. We went down there and collected them. And it's still, I mean, some of them are that long. Some of them are probably four, five, six inches long. And they're the kind that if you let them stick you, it'll numb right there where it sticks. They're, them suckers are bad, let me just tell you. They're bad thorns. And that tree, over time, will likely die because those thorns will continue to choke its life out and absorb those nutrients. Because what you understand is those thorns are stabbing into that tree as well. They will drink out those nutrients, and over time, they're... Those thorns are choking out the sun that that tree should be getting all over in places where it's wrapping around the branches. And eventually that thing will probably suffer and die because of those thorns around it. And God said this, don't plant in the thorns. Don't go where the bad things are and plant. Isn't that just simple? You know why? Because if you plant around thorns... It's a matter of time before you are wrapped up in thorns. Then you'll become just like all those other things that thought, I'll be fine here. I'll be fine not going to church. I'll be fine drinking and partying. And I'll be fine going. And and, and as long as I just keep one leg in, I'll be fine. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. You're planting in amongst thorns. And what you can understand is this. Our placement matters. What did he say? So not among thorns. So our future requires assimilation. God wants us to be like him. He wants us to be around his people. He wants us to go to his place, the house of God. He wants us to read his book. He wants us to sing his songs and to be like him. He does not want us to look, smell, and act like the world. Amen? Our placement matters and our pruning matters. He said this, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Circumcision was done as a symbol of leaving the old world behind and now being cleaned unto God. 
Spiritual circumcision is literally cutting away those things in your life that are not supposed to be there. Circumcise yourselves unto the Lord and take away the foreskins of your... This morning, the reason some of us have gotten further from God is because we've got things in our heart that shouldn't be there. Hatred, bitterness, variance, pride. We've got things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Sin and iniquity and transgressions. And we've planted... We're surrounded by people who talk, dress, walk, act just like every other sinner in the world. And then we wonder why we begin to reflect those things in our own lives. God desires to be close to us. That's why he created us in the first place. But he's not going to make you. Can I tell you this morning, God's not going to make you. We went to teen camp, and I'm closing. We went to teen camp down in, at, uh, in North Carolina. And it's in a different location. They had to rent one because they just sold their camp. And my uncle's a pastor there, Brother Tony Shirley. It's the camp I went to as a 13-year-old boy. It's a camp where the Lord uh, got a hold of my heart, and I, I gave my life to God, not just I got saved when I was 8, and I surrendered to preach when I was 13. But when I went there, I, I told the Lord I wanted to be in ministry all my life, not just someone who goes to church, but I wanted to give him my whole heart, my whole life. And the Lord spoke to me there. Can I tell you how many years I've gone to teen camp, especially as a kid? You meet people, you meet new friends and people, and they're, they're there in the services, and man, when you get to those teen camps, it's just like pure, just like concentrated church. You know what I mean? You ain't got no, there's no cell service where we were. Nobody's got their phones. You're all just kind of in, you're just in church. You're around Christians, and you're in church, a bunch. Nine services in five days. Church, 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 church. You see people and they're there and the Lord moves and they're going to the altar and they're standing with their hands raised and they're getting up testifying and tears going down their face. And then come back a year later and they're not even there. Oh, hey, where's so-and-so? Where's this one? They won't come this year. Well, will they have something going on? No, they're just, they're not really coming anymore. They've just, they're gone. What makes you think that can't be you? What makes you think just because you're here, you couldn't be the next casualty? I could be. Oh, yeah, my wife, my children. My wife gave a testimony <clears throat> at the camp. She grew up in a Christian home. Her dad was a pastor and sort of idyllic Christian home. Her mother hasn't been in church for over a decade. There was a bad situation, and her parents split about eight, nine months after we got married. And since that day, her mother has not been in church. She's not just not in church, but as time has gone on, her life has become more and more wicked. The woman who raised my God-fearing, lovely wife would now not darken the door of a church. You're to go in her home. It would seem completely foreign to anything a Christian would do. What makes you think it wouldn't be you? Oh, I'm not doing anything too bad. I'm just got a little over here. Maybe I'm not going to church as much as I used to, or maybe I don't read my Bible quite like I used to, but I still go, and I'm still... 
There's only one direction that the path you're on leads, and it's away from God. That's why God told Jeremiah, go and, and cry out to Israel and tell them, turn back, because there is a way back. You say, well, I'm still here this morning. Amen, but are you here with your heart or just your head and your body? Where's your heart? Are you drawing out of God with your lips and your mouth, or are you drawing out of God with your heart? Are you hearing me this morning? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter that you're here in the pew. If your heart is far from God, you're headed for destruction. And God told them this. He said, turn, come back. Cut away those things that are separating you from me. Turn away from those things in your heart and cut them off in your life and, and give yourself back to God because if you don't, there is only one way that you're going and it's the path that leads to destruction. My mother-in-law is facing things in her life right now that she would never, ever have had to face if she just had come back to God. Ah, it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. Don't let your life be a preaching illustration. Amen? Turn back to God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 says this, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. Brother Paul, I, you know what? I, I have. I've drifted from God. I've got worldly music pumping in my ears all the time. I've got worldly thoughts in my mind and in my heart. And, and everything I do reflects the world, and I'm not close to God anymore. I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't go to church like I did. I'm just, I'm far from God. And, and you're right. I, I, I can remember what it was like to be close. And What do I do? God just told you, if you will humble yourself and pray and seek His face and turn from your wicked ways, He'll hear from heaven. God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. So what do I do? You know what you need to do? Humble yourself. How do I do that? real simple. Just come up here and pray. Can I be honest with you this morning? I need to get closer to God. In me, I need to pray more. I need to read more. Say, no, yeah, you're just saying that. No, no, let me, let me tell you. I, I, the pastor, Calvary Road Baptist Church, still still sometimes don't give God the attention He deserves. And then I'll be doing something, and I'll be doing this, and I'll get so caught up, and I'll get busy, and, and God will say, you've not, even, you've not taken any time today to speak to me. You didn't take any time yesterday to pray. You didn't spend more than five to ten minutes reading your Bible, and you did all these other things. Where's those first fruits at? Where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning? Let's all stand.
We'll do something a little bit different. <clears throat> I'm going to go over here to this piano. We'll sing a couple verses. You coming to the altar is not for me. It's for you. Let me encourage you. Why don't you humble yourself this morning? Say, well, I'm not doing so bad, but you know, Brother Paul, I can see these things in my life where maybe I'm kind of drifting. Why don't you come up here and ask God, Lord, don't let me drift. God, God, please protect me, protect my home, protect my children. God, I don't want to be the reason that my children get out. I don't want to be the reason that my family falls apart. I, I don't want to drift from you. God, please restore me, help me. Why don't you humble yourself and pray? Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.